So I want to start this talk with a little bit of a song that's on the Jason Isbell new album. The song's called Anxiety, and Isbell writes this. Anxiety, how do you always get the best of me? I'm out here living in a fantasy. I can't enjoy a GD thing. Anxiety, why am I never where I'm supposed to be? Even with my lover sleeping close to me, I'm wide awake and I'm in pain. I start with this quote because if I was to be really honest with you guys today, way more of my life, way more of my life than I want to admit feels like this song. Way more of my life than I want to admit. There's a sense of unrest that I feel in my soul way too often. There are way too many nights where though God's blessed me incredibly and given me a beautiful wife and kids that I love and a church that I love to be a part of, there are way too many nights where I can't go to sleep and it's not because there's some presenting problem or big issue that I can't wrap my mind around, but just because my soul is restless. I think if we were to be honest, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian here today, if we could be really honest about our quiet moments, the moments where you can't outrun what's actually happening in your soul and it starts to speak so loudly that you have to pay attention. I think if we were really honest, we would say that anxiety sure feels like a defining, a defining trait of what it means to be a human being. We're people that live in a lot of fear. We're people that live in a lot of restlessness. And I think that that anxiety goes to the very core of what's gone wrong with us as human beings. Something's off, something's broken. And and I think that we try a lot of fixes and solutions to try to get it right. And at the end of the day, no matter how hard we try to get it right and fix ourselves, it just doesn't seem to work. Maybe it works for a little while. Medicating ourselves with money or alcohol or sex or relationship or career, we feel a little bit better for a little while, but eventually the anxiety catches up with us. So over the next several weeks, what we want to do is address not the presenting issues of anxiety. We, we don't want to give you a self-help sermon with seven easy points and technique and data for how to manage anxiety. We want to get to the very heart of the restlessness in our souls. Right? You, you can go to Barnes and Noble and you can walk down the self-help section, which is the largest section of most bookstores, And you can pick any one of the numerous books written on how to manage your stress and anxiety and come up with data and technique. But what you won't find there are the actual answers for the longings of your soul that we find in Jesus Christ. And what's so breathtaking about Jesus is that Jesus didn't come, he didn't come to this planet to just give us a future home and a future hope. Although he did that, praise be to God, But the thing that's breathtaking about Jesus is that he came to restore us to full humanity. He came to give us our humanity back. He came to do deep soul work inside of us so that we could experience the abundant life in him that we were made to experience. And one of the things that's so ironic about Jesus is that one of the ways he restores our humanity is by bringing us back and connecting us to certain limitations, certain boundaries, certain limits that God has placed on us as his creatures. 
And in that placing of boundaries and limitations, those boundaries and limitations are not designed to rob you of life or take beauty from you. Those boundaries and limitations are designed by God in his goodness to protect your thriving, to work for your flourishing, to help you as a created thing to receive what you need from creator God. So over the next several weeks, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to talk about some boundaries. We're going to talk about some limitations, and we're going to explore how Jesus invites us into, by his grace, through his death, and in his resurrection, full humanity, so that we don't have to let anxiety get the last word on our lives. We don't have to be overwhelmed and stressed out as the defining mark of who we are as people. Jesus comes. He comes to bring us life. So let me start, as we talk about being set free to be present, let me start with some limitations that you can't escape even though we try. The first limitation we try to avoid is the limitation of time. The limitation of time. Um, Human beings, human beings, again and again, try to live our lives in such a way that we pretend as if time travel was really possible. Here's what I mean by that. Some of us live our lives in the rearview mirror, And we're constantly obsessing and regretting and replaying conversations and choices and decisions in our past, sort of as if we were an editor who could go back in time and tweak it and change it and restore the things that were broken. And the truth is this, like, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you obsess, you cannot get in the hot tub time machine and go back in history and unsay what's been said or undo what's been chosen, we are limited to live life today in the present. Now, others of us, maybe the past is not your gig, but we try to time travel into the future. And some of us do that with fantasy. Some of us do that with just raw anxiety. We fret about the future. We worry about the future. We obsess over the future. And some of us, like me, who are maybe just a little bit more neurotic than the rest of us, we, we try to do both at the same time. Right? I'm like, ah, oh, I really regret that. I wish I could undo that. And ooh, what about tomorrow? And the result, the result of being limited in time is that God actually, he actually designs us as human beings in such a way that time the present, this moment, is the, it's the stage on which he actually wants us to encounter his grace for the past and his peace for the future. You can't time travel. You can't time travel. You can't go back. You can't go forward. This is the moment that God's giving you right now. Now, in addition, we're not just limited in time, but we're also limited in space. We are We are spatial creatures. We're embodied beings. And scripture is really clear about this, that human beings are complicated because we're both material and immaterial. The immaterial part of you is your spirit. The material part of you is your body. And both of those parts of who you are are created by God to experience spatial limitation in the here and now. You were made as a human being to enjoy locality to enjoy rootedness, to live in one place at one time, cultivating relationships in that real place that God has planted you. And yet maybe more than ever in history, we suffer from the desire and the illusion that we can be anywhere and we can be anytime 
and that we can usurp those boundaries and limits that God's given us. And the result is not a richer life. The result is a really anxious life where people that suffer chronically from, from fear of missing out, fear of missing out. Are we not? Like we're constantly dreaming about the grass being greener elsewhere. I talked to many of my friends in our church that are singles that fight the temptation all the time to miss the beauty of God's gift of singleness, which scripture says is actually a gift and a calling to miss the beauty of God's gift in singleness because they're fantasizing about the grass being greener in marriage. For young couples, they do this often by trying to hurry up and life really starting once they have children. And they miss some of the beauty of what it's like to be a newlywed or to establish life together. A lot of times married people miss the gift of marriage by wanting to change their spouse instead of receiving their spouse as God's gift of grace to them. We do this with our kids as well, right? Think about it. Like how many people, when your kids are little bitty, all you're hoping for is that day that you no longer have to change dirty diapers. I, I remember being completely in awe of my children's capacity to party like rock stars in their bedroom. I do. I mean, it's like I would walk into their bedroom and you would think that the sex pistols were on tour in Oklahoma City. It's like things wiped on walls. And I, I remember in that whole season of them being little, just waiting for them to get big enough so that they didn't feel like they were so much work. And we missed the present. Parents with teenagers often dream of their kids growing up and then we become empty nesters. And what happens then? Well, we don't know how to relate to our spouse in the present is empty nesters. And we live in the rear view, looking back on our past. And in the midst of all of these, all of these temptations to not be here in the now, we have technology in this moment, which can be God's common grace. It can be a gift, but technology also makes the illusion of being able to be everywhere at any time it makes that illusion even seem realistic. Now, I'm not Amish. Thanks be to God for the ability to get on an airplane and plant churches. I was able to actually FaceTime my wife from India, which I think might've rescued me to just be able to see her. But think about it like this. Often we get paralyzed on our phones with the illusion that you can be anywhere, right? So we're at work and what do we do at work? We check social media and look at what our friends and family is doing. And then we go home and what happens at home? Instead of being present at home, present with our spouse, present with our kids, present with our neighbors, what happens at home? We sneak in emails. Don't, don't act like you don't do it. We sneak in emails because we're constantly trying to transcend time and transcend space as if we were God that could be anywhere instead of limited and rooted and here and now. Many of us get paralyzed by the grass being greener in a culture that tries to paint the illusion via Pinterest that the perfect life is possible. If your house doesn't look like this, right? If your meals aren't like a spread and edible OKC, you're, you're missing out. And what happens, what happens is, we start to lose the beauty and the gift of being embodied people that God has limited in now with these people in this place that he calls to take root and to thrive and to flourish by his grace where he's planted us. Technology begins to be a buffer between us and being present. 
I can't tell you how many times God's given me the ability to climb a mountain or go somewhere beautiful and you get to the top and what do you see? Everybody's on their phones. I want to show you a quick video clip. Um, This is a clip of uh, Florence from Florence and the Machine. And she's at a hospice because one of her fans is dying of cancer. And in this clip, I have a lot of conflict in my soul because on one hand, it's really beautiful. It's really beautiful. And just as all truth is God's truth, all beauty is God's beauty, right? But at the same time, there's something really disturbing happening in this moment. So you guys go ahead and play this. You guys take a watch. So I don't show that to try to be critical of the people in the room. I show that because we're like the people in the room. Here's this really profound moment. Here's this girl that's dying of cancer in hospice. And this lady is using her gifts to love her and serve her and to bring a little joy into that moment. And people, instead of being present, present with what's profound and present with what's painful and present in relationship like us, they're experiencing it through the buffer of technology. And all of this, fear of missing out, trying to get out of time instead of embracing time, trying to get out of the place God's put us instead of embracing it, all of this leads us to be one of the most anxious and medicated cultures in the history of humanity. We rarely enjoy God's good gifts of here and now with the people he's placed in our lives. Our relationships seem to be a bit shallow and a bit brittle. And the irony is we're the most entertained people in the history of the world and we're also the most bored. So how do we get here? How do we get here? See, the problem with trying to usurp God's boundaries and limitations, it didn't begin with smartphones. The problem began in a garden a long time ago. We believe the lie that we still believe today. This is Genesis chapter three, verses three and five. The serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Here's what's crazy. These two human beings were already like God in all the ways appropriate for human beings to be like God. As image bearers of God, they shared many of God's attributes. God is merciful. They had the capacity for mercy. God exists in relationship. They had the capacity for relationship. God is a God of justice and love. They had the capacity for justice and love. And yet that wasn't enough. They believed the lie that if you really want to be free, if you really want the good life, the boundaries God's placed on you, you have to jump them to get to freedom. And this is the same thing that we do today. 
We try to transcend the limitations that God places on us as his creatures. We try to be like God in ways we were never created to be like God. God is omnipresent. Omnipresent means he's everywhere. We were never created to be omnipresent. We were created to inhabit time, to inhabit space, to live in a locality, and to sink down roots and love and serve our neighbors. Let me read to you from the 139th Psalm. This is a description of how God is different than us. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will hold me. Here's what the psalmist is saying about God. Some things that we need to understand. One, he's telling us that God is everywhere. Where can I go from your spirit? If I go to the top of the mountain, you're there. If I go to the furthest reaches of the sea, you're there. In heaven, you're there. In the grave, you're there. You are everywhere. Right now, in the furthest reaches of our cosmos, God is there. He is present. In the deepest parts of our sea, God is present. He is everywhere. Secondly, he's telling us that he's not present in part, but in whole. Not in part, but in whole. God God is not like a piece of pizza or a pizza that's being divided up to try to fill in the space and the slices keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. In fact, wherever God is, God is fully there and he is everywhere. Here's what Jen Wilkins says. Everywhere he is present, he is fully present. He is not engaged in some cosmic game of twister, trying to stretch himself between an infinite number of locations. Rather than a small part of him occupying each place he inhabits, all of God is present everywhere all the time. God is everywhere and all of God is anywhere God is. Thirdly, God is not a part of creation, but he's distinct and he's personal. So he's not, he's not, uh, the force in Star Wars. If, if you ever saw the movie Avatar, which in my opinion is just a mashup of Dances with Wolves and the cartoon Fern Gully. <laughs> True story. It's a terrible movie. It's like, oh man, Dances with Wolves, that was a good movie. Fern Gully, that's a good movie. We'll combine those and have blue people. And if you watch that movie, the idea is that God's in the tree and God's in the rocks. This great spirit is, that's not, that's not the God that created everything out of nothing. God is personal. He is transcendent, meaning he's distinct from his creation, and yet he's everywhere. He's eminent to his creation. Fourthly, fourthly, and this is where we have to wrestle, is his presence that's everywhere good news or bad news? And we have to be honest about that because some of us in the room are trying to outrun God. We're trying to get away from God. And if God is everywhere, if you make your bed in Sheol, he's there. If you make your bed in heaven, he's there. That might not sound like good news. It might even sound like you live in North Korea and you can't escape this totalitarian dictator named God. But here's what we see in scripture. If you're a friend of God, and we'll get to that in a minute. If you're a friend of God, his omnipresence is ever present help. Here's what that means. It's crazy. In your worst failure, where is God? Right there. In the greatest tragedies of your life, where is God? Right there. 
In your triumphs, where is God? He's right there. In your moments of depression, he's there. And in your greatest joys, he's there. Now, if you are running from him, you can't outrun him. If you run to religion, dead man-centered religion to try to avoid God, and that's what many people do in the Midwest, if we could just be honest, we try to be really good people to avoid having to actually know and need Jesus. If you try to outrun God to religion, guess where you're going to find him? He's right there. In the brothels in Bombay, where is God? He's right there. When we try to escape God and take a vacation from him and binge on porn, where's God? He's right there. And in those moments where you cut down your wife or belittle your husband, where is God? He's right there. You can't escape him. You can't juke him. You can't trick him. You can't play misdirection with him. His presence is everywhere. He's unavoidable and inescapable. So the question we have to ask is, if we're these limited people, God created us to inhabit time and locality, time and space. And if God is everywhere, how do we bridge the gap between people that want to be like God and can't be and people that try to run from God and can't escape him? And the answer to that question, friends, is the mystery of Jesus Christ. The mystery of Jesus Christ. And I say mystery because Jesus is simultaneously fully God and fully man. And this is one of the great mysteries that theologians in the history of the church have tried to wrap their minds around. And in many ways, they just have to land with, this is mystery. See, Jesus is not a little bit God and a little bit man. He has a couple of titles he uses in scripture. One of them is son of God, son of God. And when Jesus is referred to as the son of God, we're referring to the reality that there is one God in three persons, father, son, and Holy Spirit. And the Father and the Son are equal in value, dignity, and worth. They share the same divine attributes. Jesus is not a really good guy who was varsity at being moral. And God said, you know what? I'm going to give you the title of God because you're awesome. Jesus, Jesus is the Son of God incarnate, which means everything that was created was created in him and through him and for him. But Jesus is not just the son of God. Jesus is also referred to as the son of man. And in his title as son of man, Jesus is doing something scandalous. He's limiting the continual use of all those big omni attributes to partake of full humanity for our redemption. Let me put it to you like this. Jesus came to inhabit time. He was born in the fullness of time. He grew in time. Um, Anybody want to take a guess as to how long it took Jesus to turn 13? 13 years. 13 years. Because though he's the son of God in his humanity, he actually embraces what it's like to be a creature inhabiting time, though he was God. Jesus waited 30 years to start his public ministry. Think about that. He has the most important mission in the history of humanity to redeem us through the cross. And he actually values ordinary human life so much that for 30 years, for 30 years, he just inhabits a locality. He's known as Jesus of Nazareth. That's his hometown. And by the way, it's not a big deal hometown. He's not Jesus of New York or Jesus of London. He's Jesus of Nazareth, which is a little backwater town with just a few people in it. 
Jesus comes and he inhabits place and space. He has a body. Like, can we just stop and think about this? Let this scandalize you. The son of God took on flesh and every morning woke up with bad breath. It's not heresy, it's true. He had to eat to sustain his body. He had to go to the bathroom. At the end of a hard day, working as a carpenter, he would go home and have B.O. Jesus worked in obscurity doing a regular Joe job. And this blows my mind, even though he is so important and holding the universe together by the word of his power, Jesus didn't use his divine power to cheat on commute times to go from different village to different village. Like, that's crazy to me. I would be like, Jesus, you're wasting like three days walking to Capernaum. What are you doing? Jesus actually inhabits time and space in a beautiful way. And here's what's crazy. In the midst of his presence, he cultivates the relationships that are in front of him. Even when his own family, his mom and his siblings start to think that maybe he's crazy, he doesn't try to trade them in. He loves them. His disciples, even though they act like knuckleheads, he doesn't fantasize about better disciples. Peter says crazy stuff to Jesus. Peter's like, Jesus, you're never going to go to the cross. I won't allow it. And Jesus doesn't respond to Peter. You know what? I can't wait for the apostle Paul because you're terrible. (laughs) He rebukes him, but he rebukes him because he loves him and he's not going to trade him in. Jesus builds friendships with people like Mary and Martha and Lazarus, regular people. And and here's what blows my mind the most. Jesus is present with the people in his daily life. He goes into Samaria and he meets a lady at the well and he becomes the first man she had ever met that related to her, not as an object, but as a human being with value and worth. He loves her, talks to her. He takes time out of his day to be with her. Now, why are we talking about all this? Look at me, faith in Jesus, growing by grace to love Jesus, learning to follow Jesus will lead you to embracing the limitations of time and space and it will empower you to live a life that's more present and more content. To love and follow Jesus is to grow in submitting to God's good plan for you to be a limited human being Limited in time, limited in space. So let let me share a couple of things that you need to know. One, we can trust his goodness in our limitations. We can trust his goodness in our limitations. The height and the depth of God's love, listen to me, is not gonna be displayed fully and completely by you praying some prayer about him proving his love to you through giving you the right job or giving you a hot spouse or helping you get the promotion. The way that he has demonstrated his love for us is he actually took your place on the cross and was crushed though you deserved it. Here's what's crazy. In 10 billion years, when you're seeing him face to face, the center display of his goodness, his mercy, and his grace is not going to be some other thing he does for all eternity. It will be his cross. That he that was without sin took the place of us who have nothing but sin. That he was 
shamed and stripped and abused and broken for us. That's the love of God. And what this means quite simply is if he went to that length to pursue you and to love you, you can actually trust that his limitations are good, which means that you can repent of trying to be everywhere. It means that we can repent of trying to be time travelers and we can rest in the finished work of Jesus that he's planted us here. He's planted us now in this time, in this place, and it's for our good and his glory. Secondly, this means that the ordinary is full of extraordinary grace. Alfred Hitchcock said this about movies. Movies are life with the dull bits cut out. Movies are life with the dull bits cut out. Um, Many of us think that Christianity is life with the dull bits cut out, but that's not the plan of Jesus. Though in this cultural moment, what seems to be really popular in the church is epic. We want epic worship services and epic series epic hooks to get people through the door. And then we want to promise people that if you follow Jesus, he'll make your life epic. (laughs) That couldn't be further from the truth. Jesus actually brings his grace into the ordinary. He infuses the ordinary with grace and mercy and goodness, which means that it's not just Sunday and baptisms that are extraordinary because he's there. It's Monday mornings. It's not just cathedrals that he fills with his presence. It's office cubicles. It's not ideal marriages that are special. It's any marriage where the people are brought together, loving and following Jesus. When you brush your teeth, it's ordinary, man. Think about how many times you're going to brush your teeth between now and the time you die. That's like a lot of your life spent brushing your teeth. Think about how much of your life is going to be spent trying to wake up in the morning. <laughs> think, about how many, think about how many years you're going to spend sleeping before you die. It's not all about finding the epic. It's about realizing that if God is present and he's for you because of Jesus, those ordinary regular moments are actually beautiful and glorious. Hey, Young moms, let me tell you something that can set you free. Changing diapers is one of the most beautiful forms of spirituality for a follower of Jesus. To change that baby's diaper and to know that the living God is not distant and removed or waiting for you to hurry up and do a proper quiet time, that he's there in that moment, that's glorious. And fellas, let me just say, like so many of us, we want our story to be like a William Wallace story. If we could be honest about it, we want something epic. We want something heroic. We want to go down in history. Let me tell you, it's in the ordinary presence you offer your neighbors, your community, your church, your spouse, your children. It's in the ordinary regular moments that something heroic and glorious is happening by God's grace when you're fully present with your wife and your kids, when we learn to be fully present with our neighbors in the ordinary rhythms of life, this is is the way that God gets glory from regular lives. Epic meals are amazing. I love epic meals. But in ordinary meals like warmed up leftover pizza, the living God is present. Hills and valleys are full of grace. 
Tish Harrison Warren writes in her great book, The Liturgy of the Ordinary. If I'm to spend my whole life being transformed by the good news of Jesus, I must learn how grand sweeping truths, doctrine, theology, ecclesiology, Christology, rub against the texture of an average day. How I spend this ordinary day in Christ is how I will spend my Christian life. See, to be limited and to sink down roots, to be planted by God, not in a grass is greener city that you fantasize about, but in this city. To not live your life fantasizing about a different spouse, either your spouse being transformed and changed into a different personality or having somebody else and to actually be limited in that relationship. To not dream of the ideal career and job, but to embrace the job that God's given you by his grace. To not constantly be dreaming of a better house, a better neighborhood, a better city, to just plant down roots where God's placed you and planted you and to love him and to offer the people around you prayerful presence is one of the most radical things that a Christian can do on mission. It cultivates contentment, joy, and worship. Thirdly, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And what we're talking about with God's presence is related to the fear of God. Now, There's a lot of ways to talk about the fear of God, but one good definition, not complete, but good, is the fear of God is wanting his will more than you want anything else. Now, what does this have to do with presence and being limited and his omnipresence? Well, think about it like this. If the living God is really with you in every moment of every day, every decision, every choice, every conversation, every time you labor with your hands, every time you create, in your waking moments, in your sleeping moments, if that's true and he is God and you're not, then that nearness and that presence of God in your limitations should cultivate in us a desire moment by moment to say, what do you want me to do, living God? Spirit of God, what's your will? How do you want to meet me in this conversation, on this date? How do you want to meet me on Monday morning when it doesn't feel epic or spiritual? What's your will for this relationship? How do I love these new neighbors that moved in next door? This is what it means to fear God. It's wanting his will moment by moment and learning to be led by the spirit. And I'll end with this. Being limited in time and in place, not living a fantasy life about grasses, greener pastures, but being in the relationships and in the place God's planted you is all about finding contentment in Jesus and with Jesus. Contentment is not found in a better house. It will not be found in a better house. I pray God gives you a great house. Contentment will not be, it will not be because you have it. Contentment is not found in a better job or a better marriage or a better city Contentment's not found in a better girlfriend or boyfriend. The only place you will ever find contentment is by realizing that Jesus is enough. He's the treasure. He's the source. And in the ordinary, regular, non-epic parts of your life, he's actually with you and in you through the person of the Holy Spirit. I was so convicted over this on my way back from India because 
I don't really like plane rides and 16 hour plane rides feel like torture. Right? It feels hellish. And on, on my travel back from India, for some reason, like 30% of the plane was toddlers. <laughs> right? True story. And I love toddlers, man. I love babies. Love babies. But they're terrible people on airplanes. <laughs> Horrible people on airplanes. And somewhere around hour six, which was not yet the halfway point, I wanted to be anywhere but there. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking about this and it just hit me how much of my life I spend like that. Waiting for the bigger moment, waiting for the entertaining moment, waiting for the more comfortable moment, dreaming about the next vacation or the next big ministry milestone instead of realizing every breath you breathe in, that's how near the living God is because of the finished work of Jesus. Can you imagine how much more joy we could experience if instead of putting our eggs in the basket of a better fill in the blank, we put all of our eggs in the basket of a great savior who will never leave you or forsake you. Monday becomes holy because he's there. Work becomes different. So here's what I'd love to do. I'd love to close by praying for you. And I want to borrow from a guy named Zach S. Wine who wrote a book on this idea. And what he said in the book was this. He said, you're not meant to repent for not being everywhere for everyone. You're meant to repent for trying. And what I'd love for us to do is just to confess to God that his boundaries and limitation, namely today, the boundary of place and the boundary of time, we don't want that boundary. We want to be like God everywhere all at once. We don't want to be limited to locality. Can we just confess that to God? And can we pray that he would give us his heart for this time, this moment that he caused us to be alive in? Can we pray that he would give us his heart for the neighbors and family members and friends that he's put in our life? Can we pray that he would give us an awareness that the jobs that we have are not accidental? Even if it's not your dream job, the sovereign God has orchestrated you getting that job for his purpose. It's not an epic life that you want. Truly not. There is no such thing as an epic life. Even a life that goes down in history is still a life that's full of mostly ordinary moments. But those ordinary moments, if God's in them and with you, actually become beautiful by his grace.